This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, the 10th Anniversary Special, Part 2. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor and the second part of our 10th Anniversary Special. Mm. Second part. Indeed. What are we doing in the first part? First part, we, I guess, basically said everything we were going to do in the second part. Oh, what's that? We did some of our own memories of uh, 10 years of Rex Factor. I gave you some stats and we talked about the English Monarch's Twitter poll that was going to be running. Oh, is that still going? It's been and run and done. So uh, today, as promised, we're going to be reading a lot of your messages that you've been sending in. We've got general Mm. well wishes, uh, how people found the podcast, exotic locations where they've listened and uh, various favourite memories. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I will run through for you the results for the English Monarchs Twitter poll. Obviously, for anybody on Twitter, you should already know. But for Ali and many others, it will all be new. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I should explain that I'm a bit echoey. Mm. I'm house-sitting, so I'm in a different location. But, you know, we <laughs> can take Rex Factor on the road. So it's no problem for us. So let's get on to... Your messages. So, lots of you have sent in lots of uh, lovely, lovely messages uh, over the last month uh, for our 10th anniversary. So, thank you very much for that. And we are now going to be reading them. So, first of all, some quick well wishes from people. Tina Fattori says, Happy anniversary. You've helped me through many work commutes, flights and sleepless nights. Yeah, there's a theme here, isn't there? This whole sleepless nights business. (laughs) It's Mm. a really great way of not staying conscious. (laughs) Uh, Amanda Lett says, congrats, you all. Thanks for bringing so many Ali-isms into my life. Well, I reckon there's quite a few G-man-isms out there, isn't there? (laughs) Have have we had any of those? Um, I'm not sure anyone sent any in. We should. We we should, rather. I'm sure there's... Or, or best retorts from you. <laughs> yeah. There's been That'd no be call good. for the equivalent of crumbs being written on a mug. Yeah, well, I, got, I do quite like the... Um, <laughs> what was it that happened in... Um, oh, who was it? When you then go, his 11-year-old uh, son... What was it? His 11-year-old son... Oh, that was um, that uh, was the animated show for Richard III. <laughs> It's 11 yeah, year old stuff. And you go, how old was he? 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that made, I mean, that was a standout one. You made me laugh a lot there. <laughs> uh, where were we? Oh, yes. Lynn Bain says, uh, Congratulations. I'm keeping the podcast until tomorrow when I need to sit with my eyes closed for a few hours after an injection. Brackets, not nearly as bad as it sounds. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I, oh, well, I like that we're helpful, but I've, I've that, oh, that asked quite a few more questions than it um, 
resource andra says happy anniversary not sure how long i've been listening but pretty early around 1066 i think my favorite podcast still i wonder how many people we did pick up at 1066 Mm, it's interesting when people go oh, i'll wait until i get to the good bits <laughs> yeah because yeah, we've asked people when they started listening to try and um get uh, an earliest listener but yeah it'd be interesting to know if people picked it up because of a particular episode or if mm. it's just when they happen to find out about it i guess you don't really know do you if they picked it up for henry the eighth two years after we did henry the eighth yeah 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 all those spikes get lost over time Sarah Golby says, good stuff. I first heard of you in Dr. Emma Southern's podcast. She was so excited about your live shows that I decided to see what the fuss was about. No way. Hmm. Oh, we need to. Have you heard it? Have you heard that podcast? I was. So that's um, the History is Sexy podcast. And um, Emma's just had another book come out because she spoke to us about her Agrippina book. Mm. So they did a live episode on Zoom, um, which I... Uh, logged into and I asked a question via text. Oh, cool. Nice one. <laughs> what was the question? Oh, well, uh, people have to listen to the live episode of the History uh, is Sexy podcast. Hi, Emma. To find out. What's your favourite Rex Factor episode? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Catherine Sheridan says, Congratulations. I love your work so much and recommend it to everyone. I know life gets busy, but please keep on keeping on. Well, I, I, for one, can assure you we will. It uh, just There's occasional big gaps out of necessity, but I think we're managing them better, aren't we? Like they're, they're, they're good end chapters for us to have a break and regroup. Jess Brooks says, Oh, my word. Congratulations, fellas. Happy Rexy birthday. Jen Pruitt says, By the holy face of Luca. Happy birthday. Tracy Muir says, congratulations. I always look forward to your podcasts. Congratulations, Rex Factor. You guys have created an incredible podcast dynasty. Has to be a 20 out of 20 for all areas. Big love from Jenny, Naz and Chris Buckley. <laughs> That's kind. It does feel a bit like we're reading birthday cards, but without the um, uh, WH Smith vouchers dropping out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Ariel Herlick says, congratulations, you two. I think I started during the English Monarchs playoffs and was fully caught up by the time you started the Scott series. The whole trip has been such a joy. Oh, good work. Uh, Rosie McAlpin says, Hooray, congratulations on hitting 10 years. Love the podcast. McAlpin, eh? Mm. Any relation? <laughs> hmm. Statistically, definitely. Yes. <laughs> uh, Fiona Sanders says, Thanks for all your hard work, guys. You're my favourite podcast, and I listen to lots. Yeah, I think I listen to lots as well, but not this one. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate the sentiment, but I can't agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I'm afraid. I, I think we're rubbish, Graham. <laughs> There's so many better ones out there. <laughs> and uh, James Shaw says, "Happy bloody birthday, guys! Your podcast outlasted my first marriage." Oh, I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> that was on Facebook. Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, now for some slightly more medium-length ones. Uh, Dr. C. Smother, brackets man. I started listening in 2016, waiting in line for an RBG event, which I assume would be a Ruth Bader Ginsburg event. Ah. Um, now, this was sent a month ago, so this is a bit more poignant because she's obviously uh, died recently, subsequent to that message coming out. Uh, but the most memorable for me was listening to your What Happened to Henry VIII episode three times over two nights to help me fall asleep uh, when my mum was in hospital in 2017. Congrats on 10 years. Well, I hope she's better. But once again, 
You know, we were able to send someone to sleep. Yeah. It, presumably, he's sitting on a bench yeah. in the hospital. God, that is some powerful narcotics we possess <laughs> in our larynx. Sheena Nichols, uh, in response to the first episode, says, I'm just listening to the anniversary special. Graham, you asked the question that I've been burning to ask. Why does Ali like the penguin so much? It made me so happy to have that question finally put to rest. <laughs> what was the answer? I think it was just that it was your own sort of random characterization that lent him a certain comedy value that wasn't otherwise present in the historical record. Yeah, I filled in the blanks, in other words. That's what all good historians do. Exactly. Uh, Sarah Clark says, Happy 10th anniversary, chaps. I've only been with you for a quarter of the time after your appearance on the Young'uns podcast. Hmm, nice. By the way, Graham, yes. you look so much like uh, Poe from the Teletubbies there because <laughs> the shadow of your light fitting is just perfect. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, your legacy as Dunstan is no longer just an obscure saint. A chapel is named after at work. She works at St Paul's Cathedral. Oh, nice. Oh, uh, dear. And a name on the list of bishops of London. He now is a solute... No, he now is an absolute legendary pain in the backside. Yeah, quite right. I hope you think of us whenever you see that name. I now also refer to William the Fourth as good old pineapple head. It's, that's hard not to. Yeah, don't know how that one stuck quite so much. That because um, that is his name. When you when we you remind me which one he is. Yeah, it's boom, pineapple head, done it. Yeah, <laughs> it's he the equivalent like uh, can openers. It's the equivalent for you of the uh, consult limericks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Skips through all the nonsense that I talk about for an hour and a half. It's like oh yeah, pineapple head, got it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can't listen to a podcast. Just give give me it in three words. Two. Um, sorry if I'm a bit quiet, by the way, because I'm downstairs and the children are asleep, but yeah. hopefully I'm still audible. <laughs> uh, lots of lovely messages there, but we've had quite a few from people who are albeit pleased for us, but also quite keen for us to be doing something else fairly soon. Yeah. London Julie says, Happy anniversary. Your podcasts uh, reignited my love of history. Thank you. You always make me smile on my morning walks. Now crack on and give us Eleanor. I'm getting restless waiting. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, Angela Bauer says, My son introduced me to you when he was in high school and he is preparing for his doctorate now. Goodness me. Ten years goes by quickly. I didn't begin listening until three years ago, but quickly caught up just before the end of the Scottish Kings and Queens. This opened the door to my current podcast addictions, including Totalist Ranking and American Presidents, etc. Hmm. Thank you so much for the hard work that you put into bringing these historical figures to life and the humour as well. Looking forward to Eleanor. <laughs> I mean, I am as well. Hmm. And uh, Edward Notwell says, wonderful work, guys. And yes, bring us Eleanor too. Uh, now, obviously, a lot of people will be eager to hear an update on Eleanor Rakutain. So once this episode is out, our next release is going to be a special episode on the Roman general and statesman uh, Sulla, which we have but already ha recorded. Yeah, exactly. Um, we had some slight audio issues with uh, Ali's track, which mm. we initially assumed was due to changing the settings, but now we're wondering whether something that Skype or electricity is doing. <laughs> well, why Why is this hard? I mean, the, the whole thing is that it's meant to be, oh, it's just 21st century, man. We'll just build a company and make millions of dollars doing video calls. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. 
I think um, I think it was Adrian Childs wrote an article about this, and it I 100% agrees with him. He said he absolutely loves modern technology, but he just despises printers. I've said this for years. Because they get harder and harder like, and harder to work. Yeah. What is that about? The technology is surely becoming cheaper, yet I've still got just one LCD display that displays two numbers, and I've got to somehow have a code book to, to work out what it's trying to tell me. Just unbelievable. It's mechanical digital interface. Just get everything digital. Hmm. Um. I didn't expect to be referencing Adrian Charles on our anniversary episode, but there we go. I, I love the idea that there's Americans listening to us. Or a lot <laughs> I think of there are. I have no idea who it is. And that would be the, quite the Google. <laughs> um, we're also going to do a Privy Chamber episode on Scylla after that. And then it will be Eleanor. And I can say I am now well into the research for Eleanor Aquitaine. The books are out. Some of them have already been noted. It is definitely coming. We're back on track. And how's she looking? She's looking good. She may well end up being two episodes. I could see that uh, happening, perhaps a biography mm. and a review episode. Nice. Uh, but also, we had a message from uh, Ellie Simants, who says, Never fear, guys. Eleanor is here, and I am awesome. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you've got your own Eleanor now, of course, haven't you? And I have my own, yeah. <laughs> In the time that we've been waiting, you've made one. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, now, some fellow podcasters have also been in touch to wish us well. Uh, so Pontifacts, who are reviewing all of the popes, says, Been listening from the beginning and loved it so much it inspired our own show, and that in itself has been life-changing. Oh, nice. Saga Thing, reviewing the Icelandic saga, say, Congratulations on ten amazing years. It's been a pleasure listening and learning. Thanks, dudes. Now, I assumed that I'd got a message from uh, Rob and Jamie at Totala's Rankium, uh, but I couldn't find it, so... <laughs> So either they didn't send one and I just imagined it, or they sent one and I've lost it. But we're going to take an assumed congratulations. <laughs> I think Rob sent it over text, didn't he? He probably actually sent it to us, and consequently, yeah, <laughs> I have no record. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had a phone. Oh, yes, I should perhaps uh, fill people in. I dropped my phone. And where? then it overheated, so I put it in the fridge. There's quite a pertinent point about where you dropped it, isn't there? Yeah, in the sea. <laughs> and then it got wet, so I tried to dry it out in the sun when it was so hot. Oops. And then it overheated. It was getting ridiculously hot, so I put it in the fridge where it <laughs> fell in a a uh, puddle of regular water. Um, then had a replacement phone, which ceased to work after about six hours. So <laughs> probably, It probably just... <laughs> got in the house and thought i need to get out of here pronto i'm just gonna (laughs) shut my eyes and wait (laughs) oh dear it's like that i'm like that kid in finding nemo the niece of the dentist (laughs) who they all fear when they're in the tank Uh, Alexis Texas, who is one of our uh, privy councillors, says, Hi, Graham and Ali. I wanted to share with you guys that you are the partial inspiration for a podcast I've started with my dad. It's called A Fork in Time and centres on alternative history or counterfactuals. Nice. Being a proud Britophile, it's a joke on the show that if I am in the host or co-host chair, there's more than a good chance we will end up travelling to the UK in some capacity on the episode. I know I've mentioned you guys a few times on the show, specifically referring to the left of France in an episode about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Perfect. I mean, yeah, I, I know what he means. <laughs> um, uh, I love counterfactuals. Mm. And utterly pointless after, you know, the first 
week you describe, but but it's fun so, to do. Oh yeah, what it like that? But as a setting for um, other stories like SSGB, mm. I'm mostly talking about the Second World War. I think <laughs> Fatherland, Robert Harris, obviously. Yeah, uh, and partial historians, the partial historians who uh, are a Roman history podcast, have sent us an audio message. What? Amazing. Should we have a listen? What the things you can do these days? <laughs> Some people have got phones. <laughs> hey, Rex Factor. On behalf of Dr. G and myself over at the Partial Historians, we wanted to wish you a very happy 10-year anniversary. Amazing. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for being such a supportive and gracious fellow history podcast out there. It's meant a lot to us to have your support over the years. And, of course, you inspired us to introduce The Partial Pick, which we think is a great way of wrapping up a history show. Now, if we had to pick our favourite moment, it would, of course, be your interview with Emma Southern on Agrippina the Younger. Hello, Roman history. So thank you again, and we hope that you have big celebrations over there. Bye. Thanks, guys. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any celebrations, though, did we? Well, obviously, in the, uh, the current climate, we did talk about whether it would be possible to physically record in the same room, um, and then we couldn't because you'd got confused about a message <laughs> where I uh, said, "Shall yeah. we do it this time?" And you said, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, this time? No. <laughs> yeah, the same day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> Um We yeah, so that's pretty good though. After six months of lockdown, partial or otherwise. Yeah. Our celebration was flirting with the idea of seeing each other. Yeah. Mm. Which, uh, the way things are now going, probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Although uh, I nearly saw you in lockdown when mm. I was walking down your the street where you work mm. and oh, I yeah. got in touch say, oh my goodness, are you at work? And I was hoping to sort of see you hanging out the window or something. <laughs> yeah. and we could have a romantic shout down from the balcony. Um but you're at home. I was working from home. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the lockdown. Yeah. <sighs> One day, mm. your comfy chair will be sat in once again. Unbelievable. <laughs> this, this is murder, this chair I'm in now. It's no, it's no better. <laughs> oh, I've got a cushion over there, though. Hang on. Oh, oh that's better. There you go. Oh. Untold luxury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, generally, I've tried to divide the messages into some sort of thematic grouping, uh, but some of them were just nice messages that didn't really fit anywhere else. That's good. So here we go. Uh, Joseph Jagger says that he thinks the Anglo-Saxons are the best, so much so that our three cats have been named after monarchs with the most interesting backstories. Can I guess? Okay. Edred. No. Edwig. No. Edgar. Yes, their new kitten is called Edgar. First one was Athelstan and then Ethelred. Mm, well, I don't I disagree with two of those. Did I like Ethelred? Uh the unready. But was actually ready. Was readier than people give him credit. Hmm. That's rubbish, isn't it, when that happens? Like with John. Someone will mention that actually, yeah. Um they wanted to call Edgar Ieth. Uh, jo- or Joseph did, but they decided Edgar suited him more. Oh, ha- poor Ieth. Hashtag Once remember again. <laughs> Our fish are named after consorts. Right now we have Elf Giver, Isabella of France, Is- Elizabeth Bowes Lion, Emma of Normandy, and John Brown. 
though he's not a consort, but we got him and Abdul Karim at the same time and thought they'd make a good pair. That's brilliant. What a lovely idea. Now, I thought that was all... I mean, it's lovely, as you say, but I thought it's a bit surprising that there's a pretty big name in the Rex Factor canon that they haven't chosen to use. I'm just thinking about what fish they are. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, Dunstan? So I asked him about that, and he got back to me and said, cannot believe I forgot to mention Dunstan. He's our snail at the bottom in the tank. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Good work. I think we would be friends with that man. Jenna Fleming says, as an archivist and sometime historian, I admire both Graham's research skills and Ali's devotion to his individual research interests, i.e. Edward I and Castles. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot of English slang by listening to you two, crumbs being the classic, of course, and also spanner. Spanner? Ali called Robert Dudley one. <laughs> Did I? <laughs> yeah. What oh, a spanner. I'll use that again. I enjoyed hearing that word. <laughs> My one criticism of the show is that in every episode you introduce the final Rex Factor category as Dynasty, not the programme. I'm not sure if you know, but there's an American TV show called, uh, called Scandal. No. It's one of my favourites, and I think it deserves the same distinction. <laughs> the thing is, though, that Scandal started in 2012, whereas Rex Factor, of course, started in 2010. That is an excellent point. So really, the TV show should be called Scandal... Not the factor. Yes, quite right. Good point. Anyone in charge of that over there? Say <laughs> it right. Uh, Daniel Ratia says, I'm a listener from the Philippines and I've always had an interest in British history. I came upon your podcast when you were featured in an article that also featured uh, another podcast I listened to, The History Chicks. When my dog gave birth and my sister and I took turns watching over the puppies, your podcast would keep me company during the wee hours of the morning. As I fell asleep. <laughs> I tried listening down the Scottish monarchs and a crude family tree to try and make sense of which, branch was, of which branch was currently ruling. Some of the unforgettable facts I picked up over the years is James IV introducing whiskey, Henry II chewing on his carpet, or was it hay, in a fit of Plantagenet rage, Kenneth McAlpin's sea angel antics, and of course, hashtag remember Ieth. Yeah. I've always had a soft... love Ieth. You do whoever he is. I've always had a soft spot for Scotland and a dislike for erratic machismo. So, of course, I was hoping that Edward I, sorry, Ali, and Henry VIII, sorry, Graham, would both get axed early on in the runoffs. I appreciate that you're now taking time to talk about the consorts, as I believe it humanises the many Saxon and Norman women who don't get too much of a scholarly spotlight on them. You do good work humanising these women whom history found convenient to gloss over. Yeah. That was that was our aim uh, at the start, but I think uh, the opposite is also true. It it makes an awful lot of sense of some of the actions of the kings. Oh, I see. Yes, I thought we were going to say. No, actually, in hindsight, I think we could do more to gloss over them and pretend that we didn't. <laughs> Uh, so, yes, thank you, Daniel. Uh, Phil Alderton says, Happy Rexiversary. I was introduced to the show in early 2016 and listened to most of the English episodes while taking various journey uh, train journeys across Germany. Oh, nice. Since then, I've also listened to special episodes on long flights, overnight ferries, and once late at night in a coal tent up a mountain in Turkey. Oh, Oh, well, that's the, one of the strangest places we've had. I should have put this bit in the exotic uh, locations, actually, oh, shouldn't yeah. I? <laughs> Copied and pasted the wrong location. 
My favourite Rexy memory is from the Oxford tour. The conversation and drinks after the live show were the definite highlight as everybody was so friendly and talkative. The hangover the next morning, less so. Yeah, I think I did quite a bit of the everybody in that bit. <laughs> I still think that the Scottish series should have been uh, should have awarded Robert the Bruce a special Your Robert the Bruce trophy so he could stand aside and let the others flourish in the grand final. Mm. But then the obliteration in front of a far stronger enemy is probably what James IV would have wanted. Mm. Uh, Maybe the same is going to be true for Eleanor. Indeed, we'll have to see. The Eleanor of Aquitaine Trophy. Mm. Uh, So, we've now got a few messages on people um, helping us find our longest listener, but also just some interesting stories about how they found us as a podcast. Uh, so, Carl Morris says, Congratulations on 10 years. I've been listening to you for at least eight years. My earliest interaction with you on Facebook was the 15th of July, 2012. That's pretty early. That's pretty early. So, I was trying to think when um, when you started on Facebook, because it was a bit slower to mm. maybe 2011. I don't think it was in 2010. Yeah, that sounds about right, mm. I guess. Something like that. Uh, Jenny Grandchamp says, I was early, Anglo-Saxon kings. I know I was early as Ali pronounced my surname correctly in French. What's her name? Uh, well, it's it, phonetically in English, you would say Grand Champ. Grandchamp. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Stewart says, I wish I could remember my first episode. I know it was very early, well before anyone I'd heard of. I'm pretty sure it was before Edgar the Peaceable. I tended to come down on Ali's side there, so it sticks out a bit. So who's before him? Um, well, not, not many. That's an early one. So yeah, Edred, uh, immediately before him was Edwig. Um, but oh, we're, we're within the first ten episodes there potentially even the first five so unless anyone can beat that let's say at least edwig coming out brand new i think laura might have nabbed the earliest verified listener title that's brilliant that's two weeks in because we're rattling through them (laughs) Uh, sarah conroth says hi graham and ali i know the exact date i started listening to rex factor because i'd emailed my mum about it that night to recommend it to her it was december 2014 I described you as two charming, Britishly funny guys, which I stand by. I think I will take that. Yeah. Yeah. Britishly funny. Mm. All right. I re-listened to most of the English series starting after the 2016 US election when I was so upset and couldn't handle any real news and decided that I'd dive back into Saxon times for a distraction. Yeah, when when stuff was really bad. It was basically the only media I could consume for a while. I made it all the way back to Victoria when the thought of five episodes of her diary for the second time defeated me. There, there you go. That shows you that that Victoria is worse than uh, global politics and pandemics. <laughs> Uh, Magda Krubinska says, As a relative newcomer, I can't help you with a search for the first listener, but I can contribute my story of how I stumbled upon your podcast. It all started with Outlander, the uh, TV series. It made me go into a rather short-lived but very enthusiastic Scottish frenzy, and I thought that the best way to learn about Scotland's history and listen to their beautiful accent at the same time was to find an appropriate podcast. Google suggested the second season of Rex Factor, and the first episode I listened to was Robert the Bruce. It turned out to be not quite what I had expected. You alluded to both historical events discussed before, which I didn't know, and some Rexy inside jokes, which I didn't understand, 
Oh dear. You weren't Scottish. And mm-hmm. one of you kept saying positive things about Edward I, which at the time seemed outrageous to me. <laughs> she saw the light then. And yes, I found the episode intriguing enough to go back and try listening to the podcast from the beginning. And once I started, I couldn't stop. That's a good point, isn't it? There must be. It might be quite esoteric if you just jump straight into the middle. <laughs> yeah. And I do wonder, I like the idea, although um, she isn't uh, Scottish, but I do like the idea of a very sort of passionist... Uh, patriotic scots coming into an episode like robert the bruce for the first time and just hearing you talking about edward the first in glowing terms and thinking what is this (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but you know that's then presumably they all come around learn the rights of wrongs and yeah and uh see edward what he was i think they do i think they do Christopher James says, I just thought I'd share with you how I discovered Rex Factor and give you a glimpse into the oppression that has come from it. The oppression? I was scouring iTunes for history podcasts in mid-2016, and although I sampled a few, none of them stood the test of time in the same way as Rex Factor. Little did I know then that Rex Factor would be on an almost constant loop in some form or another. My iTunes tells me that the median listens on all 246 Rex Factor episodes is six Wow. Mm. I have listened to the podcast in episode release order, in chronological order, the Kings with their respective consorts, all the Georges in order, all the Edwards in order, etc., and never once gotten bored. I've listened in England while driving to Wales, road tripping in America, working in Somaliland, and preparing for my wedding in South Africa. Goodness me. The, um, uh, he must know an awful lot. Yeah, I mean, he'll know it better than we do. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. kind of going without saying. <laughs> He'll remember things that I don't remember. I mean, does that work? I'd be interested to know if he feels he's much more educated. I mean, I should give it a go, shouldn't I? I don't know why not. <laughs> Evan Long says, as requested in the latest episode, here's how I came to fall in love with your podcast. A few years ago, I started an art project where I drew portraits of the monarchs of Britain or England in reverse order, starting with Elizabeth II, with an eye to draw them as accurately as possible in opposition to their propagandist state portraits. Once I made it all the way back to Henry Bolingbroke, so that's Henry IV, in a desperate attempt to find any information on his physical appearance, I stumbled upon Rex Factor via a Google search. And the rest, as they say, is history. Mm. I went back to the start, or the end, and listened to every episode in reverse order. Because obviously he was doing his images in reverse order, so it made sense for him to listen. God, that'd be confusing. Listening backwards was weird. Audio got worse, research got (laughs) thinner, car sirens, second children followed by first children, (laughs) Ali recovered from an accident and then had the accident. (laughs) <laughs> also hearing the Manny and the sex with none punchlines repeatedly before finally hearing the setup made for a real mystery. You have a listener for posterity, backwards and forwards. That's brilliant. Waiting for the time when you hear the joke, the birth of the running gag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, now, Evan's recently become a, uh, or rather recently been gifted Privy Councillor membership by his wife, Tonya, for his birthday. So Tonya has asked if we can wish Evan a belated, happy belated birthday from Tonya and Clover. And I'm even later than you, so uh, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Evan. <laughs> now so we've... we're belated in offering belated, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that she managed to offer him happy birthday wishes prior to this. Well, I jolly hope so. (laughs) But specifically for the Privy Council. Uh, Now, we've had a few people already talking about some exotic locations where they've been listening, but uh, we've got uh, quite a few rather specific ones now, and there's some very lovely and exotic places. Mm -hmm. Uh, Manu Mugurutha says, I've listened to the podcast in my grandma's house in Montevideo, in my own home in Brasilia, but I'd say the most exotic was a deserted beach in Bahia in Praia do Sagi. Nice. That sounds nice. That sounds great. It does sound nice. Miss Mossy says, I only started you in the English playoffs after years of my uncle recommending you, but you have the honour of being my first ever podcast download. Since then, I've listened to you in Thailand, Malaysia, Australia, Indonesia, Mexico, Colombia, and now New Zealand. Wow. That's quite a haul. Mm. Krista Ball says, for exotic locations I've listened, on a public bus randomly going around Shetland... Mm. driving to two UNESCO sites in Newfoundland, uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, while standing at a bus stop in minus 40 degrees centigrade, listening to Ali needing to put on a sweater because he had a slight chill. <laughs> <laughs> you look, can you see me now? Yeah. Look at my arms. I've got a slight chill now. I mean, you're I'm only wearing a T-shirt. I'll get that in a minute. Um, what, well, what's our most exotic location that we've recorded? Um, we did... I'm well, thinking it, there was that quite a fancy little um, old-fashioned office in the council building we did once in Chelmsford. Yeah, there was that. I mean, if we'd been able to record it successfully, then the Chalk Valley History Festival would have been... Uh, oh, yeah. That'd have been rather nice. Glasgow's well, we, the most distant from our normal location, obviously. Did we ever do any internationally? Like, did I ever call up or anything? No. no. I think we vaguely thought about it when you did your world tour, but then realised that... That was never gonna. That wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. Well, we need to rectify that. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Bone says I uh, live on Lake Erie in Ohio, and have taken Rex Factor all over. I estimate conservatively you've travelled in excess of thirty thousand miles. In on a lake. Well, he's been elsewhere. Oh, okay. You've been to New York City and Hilton Head Island, South Carolina and Washington D.C., and Disney World and Oxford brackets ohio multiple times and montenegro and croatia and costa rica twice nice you've been wonderful traveling companions costa rica specifically (laughs) one of these places (laughs) you've both been wonderful traveling companions thanks for the good company you're very welcome amy buchanan says i started listening when you had dr emma southern on as a guest because i was Mm. already a fan of her podcast My favourite listening location was walking up the many steps of the monument to the Great Fire of London while listening to the relevant episode, Charles II. I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. Doing them in... uh, Listening to an episode Mm. in the right place. Yeah. That sounds fun. Uh, Magda Krubinska again says, Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to listen to Rex Factor in any extraordinary places, so I'm not a contender here either. But I did once listen to you while walking on the Krakus Mound, which is pretty cool. A supposed burial place for the mythical founder of Krakow and an altogether mystical spot with a half-fascinating, half-disturbing atmosphere like that at Stonehenge. Nice. Which I say, I think that's pretty exotic. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. There was... um uh i get a similar sort of feeling on the river deben if you if you have to get up very early to make a tide 
there's all the steam rising off the water. Oh, yeah. Mm. And on your left-hand side is Sutton Hoo. Ooh. And it's so still and quiet that you could just imagine some Vikings rowing up the river and thinking, oh, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, Alex Priestley Leach says, I was introduced to your podcast by my history teacher in year 13 who recommended your Henry VII podcast to hear a different side to him. Your podcast accompanied me to Zambia for four months, in which time I sat my Oxford interview, for history of course, where I had to answer questions on the Scottish Wars of Independence. Fortunately, with your help, I was accepted in and have just graduated, writing my dissertation on the ordeal bean of Calabar that was used in witchcraft trials. What is that? Uh, It's a bean. I think a A poisonous bean, perhaps. So they'd have Hmm. to try... Not dying. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, well, that's good. We've got someone into Oxford there. Indeed. By yeah. our own hand. Um, what uh, What were the Scottish Wars of Independence then? Were they Henry VII? What time? That's Edward I. And Edward II. Oh, sorry. I thought he said Henry VII. Oh, he did. But that was... Oh, <laughs> okay. Not related. Not related. <laughs> Um, he's also listened in various exotic locations, walking the Camino de Santiago across northern Spain, especially when trying to drown out other pilgrims snoring. Uh, he also listened on safari in North Luanga National Park, which he said was a very interesting mix of Victorian prime ministers and laughing hyenas. <laughs> and uh, I take it means me. Um, uh, I'm just hoping he didn't make that same mistake when he was applying for his Oxford exam. About Edward and Henry. Yeah, I think that probably was just you. Hmm, well, it's, it's possible. You know, it's possible. <laughs> you never know. Amber Rose, I am an archaeologist in New Mexico, the USA, and I've listened to you on many a dig and survey on my downtime. It's wonderfully escapist to listen to the lives of the monarchs of uh, the lives of the monarchs of a cold and rainy landmass while I'm working away in 102 Fahrenheit desert heat. Uh, no. the, The history is not really applicable to my region, but I can't get enough of it. I also love to listen while gardening at home. During COVID, I've re-listened once again, so I can thank you for lots of laughs and an excellent vegetable garden this year. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) Don't know why. why, The word's vegetable's just inherently funny, isn't it? It is. Uh, Katie Cully says, I only discovered your podcast this past Christmas. My husband and I went on a trip from Calgary, Alberta to Patagonia. I chose The Favourite as my in-flight movie from Houston to Santiago and realised I didn't know a thing about Queen Anne. I did a quick Google of podcasts that covered British kings and queens and yours appeared on a top ten list that resulted. Your show is advertised as funny, but a little less purist on account of the way you rate the monarchs by factors, especially scandal. This is exactly what I want in a podcast. I listened to episodes from Santiago to Puente Arenas to El Chalton and all the way home again. This was all the more helpful since the airlines lost our luggage uh, lost our luggage, and we proceeded with our trekking trip on rented and improvised gear through rain, transport destroying windstorms, power outages, and absolutely nothing running on time. Nice. Um, we need to really... That seems to be how everyone finds us. Just <laughs> Google podcast about king <laughs> or queen in this instance. But what's impressive with that one is not just that she's listened to us obviously in the air and flying from country to country, but Mm. that she discovered us 
by doing a Google search yeah. whilst in the air flying about, going from yeah, place to place. Yeah, that's possible now, isn't it? Amazing. Mm. Gosh, that is amazing. Uh, Dean Irwin, speaking of airports, says, do airports in exotic places count? I've listened in Krakow and Munich airports, as well as on the way home from Jerusalem via Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt Airport. I find they help me to unwind after conferences. Dean is quite an old listener, isn't he? Old in the sense of um, <laughs> long-standing. Long-serving, yeah. yeah. I think Dean's someone that we've shepherded from school to uh, being a proper academic person. Yeah. And by shepherded, yeah, I, think... I mean that he's listened to us. <laughs> yeah, I seem to remember him d- doing choosing his or telling us what he was doing at A-level anyway something like, I think so mm. yeah Art Dork Amanda says I don't know if it's exotic but I listened to you all while I was doing research at the Library of Congress Ooh. you were in libraries and archives all over the eastern seaboard oh I, I got excited for a minute then I know what she means now <laughs> did you think that was a euphemism <laughs> no no I just thought we were in libraries oh right Oh, I said, like, they're playing the podcast. That, in many ways, yeah. this is the antithesis of what we as libraries do, but I really think this, <laughs> this is worth breaking the silence for. Uh, the now official old, uh, longest-serving uh, verified listener, Laura Stewart, uh, says, We've taken you with us to a few weird and wonderful places. I even planned to take you into the delivery room when I had our son. Oh, don't do that. The midwife told me to bring something to listen to that would be engaging and calming, and my Privy Councillor special episode on Amy Robsart came out just as I was due. I ended up having a cesarean, so didn't get my chance to listen to it there, but made up for it whilst breastfeeding. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I just imagined uh, a, a big contraction and the word money. <laughs> <laughs> Manny. That was the word Manny. What was the word again? Manny. Manny, because two out of three times I thought you said mummy. Oh, no. And I was like, <laughs> well, maybe. You've, you've done this twice. Surely, surely you remember that, doesn't it? <laughs> Hello, mummy. <laughs> that would be uh, quite... Yeah. Ooh, dear. <laughs> Uh, Maggie Wolf says, not sure if this is uh, different exactly, but I do listen to your podcast every day while I ride horses and have even managed to get a horse in the barn named for Charles II. What's the name? Charles II. Oh, okay. Which I quite like because Charles II was given the nickname of Old Rowley after a horse. Why? Why? Uh, Because it was a stud and um, that was his role with the British aristocracy. I like the idea of naming something the second when there hasn't been a first. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Only wrong decision so far, yes, including Edgar the Peaceable, was Henry VII. His snub was a loss for nerds everywhere. Also, side note, I managed to get a, by the holy face of Luca, into my speech at my high school graduation in Atlanta. So So I have to thank you guys for that. Well, how on earth do you do that? Yeah, d- does it get in? Know. Did it come in logically, or did you just shout it at the end? Yeah, <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> so we've had lots of lovely examples of exotic locations there, but I think this email from Grace uh, from Grace Clower will particularly appeal to you, Ali. Hmm. I am currently on a sailboat, making my way around the world, and I listen to your podcast on night watches as we cross oceans. 
So unless you get someone who listened from space, which would be the coolest thing ever, at fifteen at 1,500 nautical miles from shore, I am the furthest person from land who has listened to your podcast. Oh, that podcast fills me with so much smiley-faced jealousy. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I, boats, they make me smile, but oh, goodness me, that sounds lovely. Now, I thought, obviously, this would appeal to you, and I thought that you then might have questions because it's a boat. Mm. But I didn't know exactly exactly what to ask. So I asked her some basic follow-up questions and then asked her if there was anything else that you probably would have asked to give the answer Mm. to that. (laughs) (laughs) So she says, I'm on a 2001 Hylas 46. That is a monohull sailboat with a centre cockpit and two berths. Nice. She's not a racing boat, but she is fully a blue water boat. Not fast, Mm. but very safe and sturdy. Nice. That is jolly nice. I'm with my parents on this trip, so it's just the three of us. Luckily, we all get along. Uh, That sounds absolutely magic. Oh, it's going to get a bit lovelier. We left from St. Lucia in mid-January before the world imploded with the World Arc Rally. We went to Colombia, the San Blas Islands, Panama through the canal and to the Galapagos. On our way from the Galapagos to French Polynesia, everything shut down and we were told island nations were closed and would not accept us. Luckily, a few days later, we heard Tahiti would allow us to enter. This uh, added another 800 to 1,000 miles and another week to our journey, but luckily we had enough fuel and food to make it. We spent lockdown in Papeti, Tahiti, and were then able to explore a bit once uh, French Polynesia opened up. About a month ago, we left for Fiji and are here now. They're very strict about people entering, so they're completely COVID-free. Now we're exploring here while waiting to hear if we can go to New Zealand for cyclone season. God, what a... Well, I mean, that goes without saying that's my dream. Uh, (laughs) But going somewhere for cyclone season. Does that mean getting away from cyclone season in New Zealand or does New Zealand have a cyclone season? I think it must mean getting away. Because usually you'd avoid that, wouldn't you, in a boat? (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any cyclone season in New Zealand, but (laughs) it does sound quite sort of... Pacific, doesn't it? Uh, She then says, I'm not sure what Ali would want to know, so I'll just answer a few common questions I get. Yes, we have a water maker, so we don't have to excessively ration that. Yes, we sail at night. We have a watch schedule where each person manages the boat for three hours at a time. And yes, we have a full kitchen on the boat, fridge, freezer, stove, oven, all the accoutrements. I mean, what's not to like? And she finished her email with a PS, Dunstan is... Indeed, the worst. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm coming on the next journey, please. (laughs) Uh, And now we've got some favourite memories from the podcast uh, submitted by our various listeners. Now, obviously, we had a bit of a chat about this in the first episode, but obviously we thought that relying on your memory was going to be a bit ambitious Mm. to fill a podcast. Mm. So instead, we've outsourced this to the listeners. And these are what they've come up with. Longer-serving listener, Laura Stewart, says, I love G-Man's Victoria voice. The penguin rolling treats with his beak. The Dunstan theme, so many to choose from. In our house, it's pretty common to hear, Manny! Even from the toddler who yells it before crashing things together. Good man. By the holy face of Luca, as an exclamation of surprise. And sex with nuns, just to spice up a conversation. Nice. Yeah, good, good call, literally. Another one of our uh, long-term listeners, Chad Burns. 
Oh, yeah. Favourite moment, aside from Ali learning who is in The Lion in Winter, every time we mention it, would be Ali talking about Mary Queen of Scots holding her head high and G-Man, while laughing, <laughs> reminding him she was tall and beheaded. And Ali then <laughs> saying it really would be held high. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, that was an unfortunate choice of words, wasn't it? Jess uh, Latterman says, A moment that sticks out is when Ali considered giving the Rex Factor King John for being a baddie and then realising that he wasn't even bad enough. Yeah. I stand by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not exotic, but I remember listening to Henry II on a run and thinking, who the hell is this guy coming out of nowhere? Brackets, sorry, I'm American. Also, brackets, what everyone said at the time. Hmm. 499 Kahunas says, My favourite is William IV taking out the Navy for a spin on the weekend. No one knows where. The original Tom Cruise in Risky Business or Ferris Bueller and Fry's Ferrari. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant example, yeah. Ed Robinson says, Favourite Rex Fat lines have to be, and they're both Ali. No offence, Graham, you just make too much sense. <gasps> Ali's research on Edward the Elder. I asked my brain, do I know this person? And my brain said... No. Or the description of the Witch King's death in the Aragorn special episode. The old blade and the body trick. Works every time. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we got these people reminding us what we said. That's nice. <laughs> or a strong runner-up would be every time Ali decides he hates something despite loving it at the time. Like randomly deciding to hate the entirety of the Saxon line because it was probably a bit muddy back then. Yeah. Don't know where that came from. I must have just been in a bad mood. <laughs> but it stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Who else did I take against then? Uh, Henry V. You liked him when we reviewed him, but in the playoffs he became Henry Mark V. And <laughs> oh, yeah, you told me that recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've got to just get a feel for people eventually after <laughs> yeah. an hour or two. Yeah. And then, you know, you... you See them for what they are. Even if hour two is four years after hour one. <laughs> uh, Jenna Fleming says, being a student of First World War history, the George V episode was one of my favourites. It was great to imagine the king shaking his walking stick at a Cezanne painting while declaring, abroad is awful. I know because I've been there. <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> Ali's incredulous response to Graham saying George had been murdered was another highlight. Oh, yeah. Well, the doctor bumped him off at the yeah, end. Yeah, to avoid him, uh, his death being reported first in the tabloids. Yeah. What? That is amazing, Graham. <laughs> Why isn't that... I mean, there's been 18 a series of QI and that hasn't come up yet. <laughs> That's more than quite interesting. Shocking. Yeah. Maybe it's too interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brett, <laughs> Brett Crandall says, one of my favourite memories has to be from George I when you were discussing how he would spend his leisure time with his mistress cutting patterns out of paper with scissors. Ali commented, no telly. And Graham continued, no telly, of course, in those days. A laugh out loud moment that I've never forgotten. Really? I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Uh, Dan, so, hang on, can you recap? So, what George the first would spend up? his leisure time with his mistress just cutting patterns out of paper. And that Good was how he had his grief, fun. To which, 
To which your awful. response to make sense of this was, no telly at the time. But still, you're the king of England, man. <laughs> yeah. With your pay mistress. someone to do something. Uh, you, Dan... could, you could pay people to act out the telly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan John says, I think Charles II will always be a particular favourite. Climbing trees, hiding in disguises and calling people rascals, but forgive them for they do it only for their bread. What more do you want in a ruler? Quite right. The special episode on tea was also incredible. Tea is amazing, as we all know, but I never thought an episode on tea would be so interesting. Mm. That was my cup of tea. Oh! Uh, Mark from Denmark, Privy Councillor Masfer, uh-huh. says... Very good. My favourite episode, Henry VI, I just love Wars of the Roses, so of course this episode has to be my favourite. There's just an awful lot of fighting and treason. Mm. And also the incompetent king who originally got it all his 40 points just for being alive and was the reason why you changed the scoring system for longevity. Was it? Yeah, because originally we literally just counted the years yeah. as a score and then we thought, but this guy was rubbish and he was king for ages so he's got oh, a really high score mm. and he was rubbish. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So then we turned them into multiples of oh. 20. Mm, I'm glad we sorted that out. My favourite moment in an episode was the return of Sex with Nuns from Alexander III's episode. Your celebratory reaction after four years of waiting since the times of Edgar the Peaceable, who was robbed, is just amazing. My favourite Rex Factor experience was seeing you live in London, and I got to ask you a question which I could hear in the London episode, which means I'm in a Rex Factor episode. Oh, cool. (laughs) Uh, Nicholas Hanna. Um, it's got a few examples for us. He was re-listening to the Henry VI episode recently. A great uh, moment occurred just after you'd mentioned his maternal grandfather, King Charles VI of France. Ali took a moment to recall who he was, and then, Ali, oh yeah, he was made of glass. Graham, he thought he was made of glass. <laughs> that was the problem. <laughs> uh, oh, very subtle, but ever so important difference there. <laughs> Uh, the Death of Amy Robsart episode has some particularly memorable Ali moments, especially since I actually played that one for family. When you're talking about her possibly misjudging the stairs, and Ali goes off on a tangent about a time he got disorientated and dropped a plate he wasn't expecting to be empty. <laughs> Good God. Are you telling me some people pay for this? Uh, it, got, it caused so many confused looks for about a full minute, followed by hysterical laughter. Well, um, I mean, no, don't worry. I have to go back and listen. I can't imagine what that was about. I can't remember that. His offended tone when claiming that the main character in Ironside was so named because he was in a wheelchair, brackets, he wasn't, Ironside was his actual name, was also a classic. <laughs> I I can't tell you for how long I've believed that. <laughs> oh, I know that's his name, but I thought that was everyone calling him Ironside because he's in a wheelchair. (laughs) Oh, the 60s. Different times. (laughs) Different times. (laughs) I'd take Ironside, I think. I mean, it's a cool name, but it's cooler for Edmund Ironside because of the way he fought the Vikings than to give it to someone who's in a wheelchair. It's terrible, isn't it? 
he continues on a different uh, different theme. Off the top of my head, I love whenever Ali mentions Braveheart and his occasional exasperated, slightly disgusted exclamations of, This guy! Never fail to make me laugh. Especially in relation to James II of England and, of course, Dunstan. Mm-hmm. Can't remember what episode it was. May well have been more than one, considering it's Dunstan. But there's a bit where Ali is raging about Dunstan's self, uh, Dunstan's pious self righteousness stopping the party, and he bitterly laments something like, "I've known his kind before," without giving further context. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I do. I have. Uh, Ali also just straight up says at one point, "I hate him, Graham." Which caused me to nearly choke with laughter. I do hate. I do hate him, Graham. <laughs> I genuinely do hate him. I think it's appalling. And he revisits you every year. He does, doesn't he? At least once. Oh, that's rather sweet. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of the correspondence. Thanks so much to everyone who's uh, messaged in. Of course, thanks to everyone who's ever messaged in or listened to the podcast or left a nice review told their friends and family become a privy councillor thank you to everybody yeah it's it's it really is i don't know at what point if it wasn't for the fans i'd have said graham you know what (laughs) (laughs) um definitely two episodes into victoria (laughs) so um thank you very much everyone i do remember one time on facebook when like you'd set it up but didn't really use it very much and then like you did a couple of posts in a week or something that were getting lots of um people coming back and you're like oh this is quite this is quite good actually isn't it do that i don't remember i don't remember a moment of um realizing that we had fans yeah actual fans but it is it's so cool and you've met some in real life i mean outside of something that has been advertised rex fact i was gonna say i'm pretty sure you were there as well <laughs> You just you had a, a a facial recognition. I did, yeah, in uh, in the Lake District, having a dinner one evening, and then someone came up to me and said, "Sorry, it's um, Rex Factor." I was like, "Yes, <laughs> is it? Edward, <laughs> <laughs> amazing." I'm really envious. Anyway, that's the end of uh, the messages, but we've got another part of our anniversary celebrations to do. English monarchs, the Twitter poll. So, to celebrate our anniversary, we thought it would be fun to revisit uh, the English monarchs and the original playoffs and to see what people think of the monarchs now. Uh, But this time, rather than just it being the Rex Factor winners, we're involving all of the English monarchs uh, from the first series, excluding Oliver Cromwell uh, because he's not a monarch and Elizabeth II because she is the monarch. Mm. Um, I did the draw based on uh, all entirely seeded, so it was based on who got the Rex Factor and people's overall scores. So in theory, the final, which is four monarchs, should consist of Henry II, Edward I, Edward IV and Victoria, because they're the top four seats. Mm. If all, you know, Yes, I see what you're saying. Um, can I just put it out there straight away? I'm excited. Mm. Not necessarily about the result but i know <laughs> that this is good this next uh moment of my life is going to involve a lot of g-man's uh drilling down into the data yeah. and coming back with some excellent stats yeah. um so those of you on twitter or indeed those of you who joined twitter in order to vote in this so thank you mm. to those people uh will already of course know the results but people not on twitter who haven't looked and indeed people who are ally 
This is all going to be new. So I'm going to go through all the results. So you're going to build that picture as we go along. Okay. And we'll follow it through. Nice. Uh, so initially we had preliminary rounds because working backwards, we got four monarchs in the final, preceded by four semi-finals, which each have three monarchs. And then before that, 12 quarterfinals with four monarchs each. So this effectively sees us starting off with 48 monarchs, but awkwardly we've got 55. So what I did was take the bottom 11 seeds, i.e. the bottom 11 scoring monarchs, and they had to compete in four preliminary rounds in order to get into the quarterfinals. So we're just sort of weeding out the lowest scoring ones, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who didn't stand a chance? Well, or did they? You never know. Maybe one of them will shoot through to an unlikely victory. Uh, preliminary round one consisted of Edward the Confessor, Edwig, and Harold I. Now, you did do predictions, although we didn't do the preliminary mm. rounds, but I'm sure you've probably forgotten all of your predictions. So who do you reckon yeah. coming out of that? Edward the Confessor, Edwig, and Harold I. Harold. That's uh, not the 1066 one, but that's the, uh, that's the sort of short-lived Viking one that came after Canute. Oh. Um... So who was the 1066 one? He's uh, either known as Harold Godwinson or Harold II. Oh, yeah. Edwig was... Uh, threesome. Threesome, yeah, him, yep. In third place was Harold I with 14.4%. Second place was Edwig with 22.4%. But the comfortable oh. winner was Edward the Confessor, 63.3% of the vote. That might be just because he forms part of the fascinating 1066 narrative. And also he's king for 20-odd years. It's all quite successful until after he dies. Oh, that as well. He's one of the but ones... But no threesomes. No, the, there are a few of these in the preliminary rounds where there's actually, they're actually pretty decent monarchs, but they just score very low in most of the categories, and that's why they're low down. But actually, they did a decent enough job. Mm-hmm. So, Edward the Confessor gets into the quarterfinals. Preliminary round two, uh, Ed Red, who is the sucky food one. Yeah. Henry the Sixth, which is Wars of the Roses, and Edward the Martyr. Which is, which a, is... a Saxon who obviously came to a premature end. Sticky end. Uh, so then it's not him. Sucky one versus... Wars of the Roses. Oh, Wars of the Roses, yeah. But the loser of the Wars of the Roses. Yeah, but much more interesting. But also, Edred, um, despite the sucky, sucky foodness, did see off the challenge of Eric the Bloodaxe in York. And it's after Edred's reign that York is forever oh, right. English. Oh, I only had him sort of failing to eat food, and that's the <laughs> yeah. achievement in life. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm just wondering how much Saxon traction we'll have. Um, nice. <laughs> all right, I'll stick with the Saxon then, yeah. Old sucky. So, Edward the Martyr came third, 18.9%. Henry the Sixth came second, 29.1%. And Edred, sucky, sucky, took the victory with 52%. All right. So, thus far, two out of two for the Saxons. Mm. Albeit also quite a few defeats for the Saxons. It's mainly Saxons. <laughs> <laughs> preliminary three was the battle of the edwards we've got edward the eighth edward the sixth and edward the fifth oh the trouble is i'm gonna have to be reminded on each one edward the eighth abdication crisis not him edward the sixth son of henry the eighth 
Oh, not him. Edward V, Princess in the Tower. Oh, right. Son of Edward the... Uh, son of Henry VIII. It's funny, this one, because I think for people who were coming into the polls, not necessarily having listened to the podcast or having read the blog, they understood that it was about, you know, England's greatest monarch. And then they were reading these and going, "What? these are the best monarchs. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> these, these are the worst monarchs. <laughs> Just reading them out. Oh, dear. Oh, they thought this was like a choice of three. This to was decide the final. Reason. Yeah. They're looking at a final. Oh, dear. Uh, so in third place was Edward VIII with 17.1%. Second place, Edward V, 28.1%. But the winner, as you predicted, son of Henry VIII, Edward VI with 54.8%. Okay. And it's a curious grouping, this one, because Edward VI is the only one of those three to have been crowned as king. Yeah. And despite the fact that he's only king for six years... He is king for more than triple the other two put together. <laughs> amazing. That was amazing. And finally, preliminary round four. Only two monarchs competing in this one, and it's Saxon against Viking. Mm-hmm. Saxon is Edmund Ironside, and the Viking is Hartha Canute. Oh, it's got to be Hartha Canute, hasn't it? So he is the one that you recall as being half a Canute. As opposed to being Canute. Uh, yes, that's 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 fifty percent worse. <laughs> okay, and the other fellow Ironside, he wasn't around long though, was he? He when wasn't around long, but stuff. he's the one that spends the year fighting Canute and has quite a few victories, but then gets betrayed in the final battle. We thought that would make a good film. Mm. That one. It was the most decisive vote of the entire poll. Hartha Canute got 16%, Edmund Ironside 84%. Whoa. Hmm. Some um, Hartha, um, Ironside love there. Indeed. So going into the quarterfinals from the preliminary round, we've got Edward the Confessor, Edred, Edward the Sixth, and Edmund Ironside. Hmm. All the okay. Eddies. Yeah, it's not going to be a, a strong group. So this takes us to the quarterfinals, which is obviously where things start to going. We now got big names up against each other. Quite often we'll have two Rex Factor winners in one group. This is when it gets quite juicy. Okay. So quarterfinal one, Henry the Second, Henry the Fifth, John, and George the First. I'm listing these in sort of top seed order. So Henry the First is the top seed. Uh, Henry V, 13, John 25, George 37th. Henry I is top seed above Henry V? Yes. No, Henry II is the top seed. Oh, okay. Although Henry V is also a higher scorer than Henry V. Henry I is a higher scorer than Henry V. Really? Henry Mark So what did Henry I do? Quick one. Well, we'll, well I guess we'll come to Henry I in a moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's hard to see past Henry II here. Hmm. It's him. Fourth place was John with just 2.7%. Mm. George I was in third place with 4.7%. So it's a Rex Factor Henry's up against each other. And the winner with 62.8% of the vote was Henry II. God, that's a... It's tough. Him knocking out Henry V, that's quite a... Oof. It's t- Yeah, say so Henry V going out with 29.8% in the not quite first round he's very much like argentina going out in the first knockout stage yeah so henry the second goes through henry the fifth goes out quarter final two we have mm-hmm. got 
Henry I, Charles II, Ethelred the Unready, and Charles I. Charles II. Now, quite a lot of people, is this one coming in, a lot of people were voting for Henry I because he was king for 30-odd years, does quite a lot of administrative reforms uh, for the sort of Anglo-Norman realm, generally very successful, but then the white ship disaster undermines everything. So he's quite a well-thought-of one. So, you know, a lot of people think highly of him. That's why he's the number five seed. Mm, I like him. The results. In fourth place was Charles I with 3.7% of the vote. Third place went to Ethelred the Unready with 9.4. And the winner in the semi-finals is Charles II. 55.5% of the vote, but a creditable 31.5% for Henry I. Mm, Nice. Now, technically, that's our first upset in that Henry I is the fifth seed and Charles II is the 17th. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you were reading them out in uh, order, weren't you? Hmm. But I suspect that if you were actually betting on it, most people would have assumed Charles would have won. Mm. Mm. That's Rex Factor in a nutshell, isn't it? Not necessarily <laughs> about the score. Indeed. Next, we've got quarterfinal three. William the Conqueror, Edward the Elder, William Rufus and Edward the Confessor. Um, you can get rid of all the Saxons straight away. It's got to be the Conqueror, hasn't it? Though I do love Rufus. It's funny because in, um, in the first part of our anniversary special, you actually kind of just instantly assumed William Rufus. And someone did contact me on Twitter and saying, I know you were rushing through those, but William Rufus over the Conqueror? Really? And I was like, uh, yeah, I, I was rushing through it. <laughs> but it did uh, well, strike me yes, as odd. He had a point. Because, yeah, heart, Rufus, head, the conqueror. Well, it was a bit closer, this one. In last place was Edward the Confessor, but with 11.7% of the vote. The big battle was between second and third place, which was very close. But ultimately, third went to Edward the Elder with 20.6%. Second was William Rufus with 23.3%. But the winner, Rufus's dad, William the Conqueror, 44.4%. Oh, it just goes barging through life. Indeed. <laughs> Quarterfinal four, potentially the strongest one we've had so far. Edward the Fourth, Elizabeth the First, George the Sixth, and Edmund the First. Edmund, give me a quick recap. Uh, he comes after Athelstan, loses North and the Mercia, but then he wins it all back and looks really good, but gets killed by a thief, the notorious thief. <laughs> Who oh, murdered yeah. a king? Uh, not him. Not George VI. I think... I th- oh, that is tough. I think Elizabeth I. I think, I think both heart and head say Elizabeth I. But just because her story is more famous. It's tough with Edward IV, and a lot of people were saying this in the messages, that how he is... You know, he's our third seed. He really ticks every box since he's got mm. such a big score. He's such an entertaining one. But because of... Wars of the Roses after him with Richard III, Princes in the Tower, Tudors. Everyone kind of forgets about him, really. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, he is the, he's got to be the least well-known, highest-scoring monarch. Yeah. Anyway, the f- Rex Factory, in a way. Oh, indeed, yeah. So, in fourth place was Edmund I with 4.4%, and George VI uh, not much further ahead with only 7%. 
And in actual fact, second place did also pretty poorly. Edward IV came second with just 15.3%. Elizabeth I wins the group 73.3%. Wow. Laying down a bit of a marker there straight off yeah. the bat. Yeah, that is um, Edward the Fourth once again getting uh, hyped into the World Cup, and then uh, a, a West Germany comes along <laughs> and just says, "No, out yeah. first round, boom." So Elizabeth goes into the semi-finals. Edward the Fourth is out. Quarter-final five: we have Henry the Eighth, George the Third, Henry the Third, and Sven Forkbeard. Okay, straight away, I'm afraid you can drop the bottom to... Um, oh, how did you phrase the question on Twitter? To crowning England's greatest monarch. England's greatest monarch. I really like George, though, but I just mm-hmm. don't think enough people know him. I think notoriety beats... Notoriety beats quality of kingship mm. in a Twitter poll when they're talking about greatness. So, Henry VIII... So in fourth place was Henry III with 9%. Once again, the battle was for second place. Sven Forkbeard came third with 19.1%. George III was second with 21.3%. So very close between those two. But the winner, rather comfortably, with 50.6%, Henry VIII. Uh, All right, we'll see him again. Quarterfinal six, another pretty strong group. George V, Henry VII, Harold Godwinson, and Edward VI. Think Henry VII. Because mm. I think he will have got a campaign behind him. <laughs> so Edward VI was fourth with 4.3%. And once again, a very tight battle in the middle. In third place was Harold Godwinson with 24% of the vote. Mm. The best third place in the quarterfinals. Nice. In second place with 24.8%, George V. So Mm. the winner, as predicted, was Henry VII with 46.8% of the vote. Oh, that's quite quite a lot, isn't it? And Henry VII is thus the first non-Rex Factor winner into the semi-finals. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Quarter-final seven. Victoria, William and Mary, Richard III, and James II. Richard III, definitely not. I mean, that's notoriety too far. That's notoriety for being particularly bad rather than just good. Um, William and Mary, I think Rex Fact fans would vote William. Definitely not James because of all the... yeah. Uh, Oh, Victoria, maybe. Yeah, so I think Victoria will win. William Mary second. Now, this was one of the ones where I really wasn't sure what the result would be. Obviously, James II is rubbish. Mm. But although you're right, obviously, Richard III is the notorious ones, he has a lot of devoted fans with the Ricardians and Richard III mm. Society, and they are active on Twitter. So I wasn't quite sure because I thought William and Mary, popular with Rex Factor fans, but I don't know how popular outside of the Penguin reference. Is Victoria mm. adored? But there's probably grudging respect at her status in the sort of pantheon of monarchs. So I thought she'd be in with a shot, but I did think it would be between Victoria and Richard, and I wasn't 100% sure. Really? Because I think the, there's a, there's, Richard has his uh, followers just because his story is so famous that even people with a, 
passing interest in history would know about him and could throw a vote in. Mm. But, oh, it's going to be a good one. So, as predicted, James II was last with 2.8%. Mm. And William and Mary did indeed come third, 15.5%. So it's a battle for the top, Victoria and Richard III. Now, initially, it did indeed look like it was going to be Richard. He was getting the votes. He was ahead. But as the day went on, Victoria started creeping back into contention, took the lead, and then started to pull away. So at about nine o'clock at night, so the polls sort of 12 and a half hours away or so from finishing, we'd had exactly 500 votes cast, and she was 4% ahead of uh, Richard. Now, usually at this point in the polls by about halfway through they were pretty much finished so if that's the pattern then that's basically the pattern that goes all the way through it but the reason that i know about these votes was because at this point somebody tweeted the richard the third parody account on twitter (laughs) which has got um over twenty thousand followers oh nice and as a point of comparison we've got about four thousand so he retweeted this calling on his followers to vote for him so I took a screenshot thinking this potentially could be quite a decisive moment. Good and, call. And indeed it was. By the end of the poll, we'd had some 935 votes cast. Uh, the next highest turnout in this quarterfinals, incidentally, was the first one that had 513 votes. So we've got nearly double the number mm. of votes that we do in the other ones. And the winner was Richard Third. But he- Victoria was pulling away. He, so she had been pulling away. She was 4% up at 9 o'clock before this tweet. And by the end of the poll, Richard III had 44.5%. Victoria, 37.2%. I, you know, I, I'm, I don't mind that. Because if I'm going to continue this World Cup reference, that <laughs> is uh, Richard III. I mean, the, the drama and storytelling behind all this, it does play out. He's, he's done the dirty again. He's taken an injection of steroids... His team went away for the win, <laughs> but it didn't matter because it knocked out my least favourite team. <laughs> it did indeed. So brilliant. Well done, Richard. Hope you get knocked out next. So that's the best second place, but Victoria and William III, in terms of Rex Factor winners, are both out. Richard III goes through. Mm-hmm. Quarter final eight. Mm-hmm. Alfred the Great, Edgar the Peaceable, Edward II, and Mary I. Uh, I'd be Edgar, clearly. Now, the Edgar vote is another one of those interesting unknown quantities going into this tournament. It's an obvious choice for people to spring an upset, if not make a play at the entire tournament, as a way of just basically annoying you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edward II came last with 4.7%, Mary I, 8.3%, and the runaway winner, with 63.2% of the vote, was Alfred the Great. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Britain's greatest monarch, and you've got one with great in their name. It's like you've, uh, it's like it's a trick question. (laughs) It just sort of points at his name badge and walks through the door. I thought this was quite an interesting one, actually, in terms of your Edgar controversy, that when you put Edgar in a group with Alfred the Great, it does kind of, you do have to look at Edgar and think, well, what is his great achievement? Because it's one thing comparing him to people from hundreds of years later and you're thinking, wow, this Saxon with nuns and all this sort of stuff. But comparing to Alfred, when the circumstances are quite similar, except that Alfred had a much, much tougher pack of cards to play, mm. you think, well, Alfred does all this stuff. What does Edgar actually do? 
Thank you, comparison. Jim. And you see, I was going to say something very similar, uh, but um, wasn't going to, so thanks <laughs> for that. Same with Athelstan, really. You think if Alfred or Athelstan had been given Edgar's reign, could mm. they have done as well as Edgar did? Probably, yes. Might they have done a bit more? Maybe. Could Edgar have done what they did, given the circumstances that they had? Don't know. Oh, nice. Yes. Yes. I mean, really, paddling around in a boat is great fun and everything. I'm all for that at all <laughs> times. But I, I wouldn't expect to win a competition based on it or even <laughs> doing it. <laughs> Quarterfinal nine. Richard the Lionheart, George the Second, Richard the Second, and Edmund Ironside. Um, Lionheart. So in fourth place, Richard the Second. 10.1%. In third place, with a very credible, creditable 20.3%, was George II. Oh. But then we had another very close battle at the top. No. And in actual fact, it didn't end up being that close because the winner, with 38.6%, was Edmund Ironside. Oh, that's exciting. Richard the Lionheart, just 30.9%. Wow. They're true listeners voting there. Now, that is potentially the biggest upset that we've had because not yeah. only was Edmund Ironside the fourth seed in the group, but mm. he had to come through the preliminary rounds just to get in the quarterfinal. Oh, true. And knocking out a big, well-known one as well. Mm. The thing is, although he's a bit of a favourite for a lot of people, he's a bit of that sort of romantic, nearly hero that yeah. we love in this country for his efforts against Canute. It's also the case that a lot of people really don't like Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> and some people yeah, even say he doesn't deserve the Rex Factor at all. Mm. And I sort of want, I, I feel a, I'm kind of feeling a bit sorry for Richard. I feel like the revisionism's gone a bit too far with him because he's he's obviously very much a king for his own time and not for ours. But he was a genuinely brilliant military leader, perhaps one of the best among the English monarchs. And although he doesn't spend a lot of time in England or indeed care for it very much. You can be a bit parochial about this. He does rule an Angevin Empire. There's the call of the Crusades, which really did mean something at the time. And there are plenty of English monarchs who ruled worse in London than he did in Jerusalem. Yeah, nicely put. Um, yeah, it's that, that, uh, that parochial bit that got me. That's so true. That's the, his biggest drawback. People, I think people don't like him because they think, well, he's basically French mm. and it comes down to a bit of uh, uh, xenophobia really mm. um, I yeah I beyond Batley though that's all he's got oh yeah well and then a bit of scandal as well really which one was he um, there was a thing about him lying in bed with the king of France and oh, right, a bit of yeah, dubious Louis. sexuality um he does also have one of the really coolest Rex Factor moments where his um, his sister and fiancé get abducted when he's on the way to the Crusades. So he rescues them and conquers Cyprus as oh, part yeah. of the process. And there was a thing where he was standing on the prow of a boat holding supposedly Excalibur at the head of this warship leading off to conquer Mediterranean Island. And you think, that yeah, that is Richard the Lionheart. That's pretty cool. That's what yeah. a medieval king is meant to be doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is really, really very powerful. Now, quarterfinal 10. This is mm. the biggie. This is where you wake up. Edward I, 
Okay. Athelstan. Forget it. Edward the Seventh. Easy. And Queen Anne. No worries. Edward the First. Well, I say that I, I was looking at this thinking this is another tough group because although the bottom two are never really going to be in contention, all of them are actually pretty successful monarchs. There's no duffer there. Anyway, in last place was Edward. What? The seventh. Oh, okay. oh. <laughs> with uh, 6.3% of the vote. Third place was Anne with 8.6%. So it's going to be Edward I or Athelstan. And how many percentages are left? Um, most of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, two very successful monarchs, but wasn't actually all that close. The winner with 57.5% of the vote was Athelstan. No! Athelstan took 57.5%, Edward I, 27.6%. Athelstan is in the semi-finals. I'm sorry, Ali, but uh, Edward I... That is definitely my... That is definitely people trying to (laughs) successfully wind me up. (laughs) Hashtag sorry, Ali. Hashtag 95 Rugby World Cup. (laughs) Oh, that's devastating. I'm not going to cry this time, though. Edward goes out with food poisoning. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, looking back on the original series, Athelstan got to the semi-finals, which he's done here, but he was up against Elizabeth I and Henry V, and the public actually voted for him in first place. It was only because we both voted for Elizabeth that she got to the final, so otherwise Athelstan would have beaten Elizabeth to the final. Wow, so there's a lot of um, public love for Athelstan that we just don't reflect yeah and you know and what we always say about you know finding those sort of hidden treasures Mm. those great kings that people don't know about athelstan perhaps is the one that for a lot of people embodies that sense of someone who's really great and you you say how he should be athelstan the great rather than alfred the great yeah that's true yeah yeah but uh unfortunately that does mean that edward the first is no longer in the competition well, in a way, it's nice that I can be... It's more enjoyable after a while to it's watch like, a tournament as a neutral. It's like when England go out in the group stage, it's like, well, at least I can just enjoy all the matches now and not yeah, exactly. matters. Just enjoy it for the game. I can enjoy it for its purity. There's no jeopardy for me now. <laughs> and that also means that, well, I said at the start about how the final should be Henry II, Edward I, Edward IV and Victoria. Mm. Only Henry II has actually got past oh, right. the first vote. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway, Ali's interest is completely gone now, but we might as mm. well run through the rest of the tournament. So, quarterfinal 11. Edward III, William IV, James I, and Stephen. Um, Edward III. Mm. Not Stephen? Beats pineapple. Not Stephen, goodness. Well, you're not expecting much from Stephen, but he did actually outdo himself here, and he got the very lowest proportion of the vote <laughs> in the entire tournament with just 2.6%. Jolly good. That goes, that serves him right. Big battle in the middle, which actually saw William IV come third mm. uh, with 19%, just behind James I with 19.6%. Uh, was that a, do you have any geography of these things? Was that a Scottish vote? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but comfortable winner, as predicted, was Edward III with 58.7%. Okay, good. 
So, quarterfinal 12, the last quarterfinal, we have got Canute, Henry IV, George IV, and Edred. Uh, um, can you remind me of these people? That's not, they're not. Canute is the good Henry Viking. IV? Henry IV is Bolingbroke in the Shakespeare plays. He's the father of Henry V, the one that takes the throne from Richard II, but then has yeah. to fight against Glyndar and gets a bit of leprosy okay. and stuff. George, George fourth, fourth, Prince Regent. Yeah. Edred is the sucky, sucky yeah. Eric Bloodaxe. Um, um, oh, Canute. Canute, head, heart, George. Mm. This one went entirely to seedings. I think the only one, actually. So Edred last with 7.7%. Uh, George the fourth, third, 11.6%. Mm. Henry the fourth, the runner-up, with 16.6%. And Canute, the runaway winner, 64.2%. Right, okay. Is that the last quarter? That's the last quarter. So our semi-finalists are Henry II, Charles II, William the Conqueror, Elizabeth I, Henry VII, sorry, Henry VIII, Henry VII, Richard III, Alfred the Great, Edmund Ironside, Athelstan, Edward III, and Canute. Okay. All right, let's do them. So semi-final one. It's getting serious now. Uh, Groups, four groups of three. Okay. So, Henry II, William the Conqueror, and Charles II. Charles II. Oh, no, it's, no, it's going to be Henry. It's going to be Henry. Well, third place was William the Conqueror. Best third the, place. That's amazing, though, finals. Right? I know, yeah, in third, in last place. Yeah. Uh, but a good third with uh, 21% of the vote. But, obviously, the question is, do they vote with their head for Henry II or their hearts for Charles II? Well, the winner and our first finalist with 53% of the vote was Henry II. I mean, that would have been a big upset, wouldn't it? The winner of the last time we did this. Yeah, well, now. We probably did this. So pretty comfortable. So only 26% of the vote for Charles II. So he wasn't actually that far ahead of William the Conqueror. I think his greatness was, was greater than Henry. The, oh, can, can I argue this? Representative stability after all the upheaval. It's a very different, it's such a different period. It's fun, but hard to compare the different eras. But I guess mm. the Alfred Edgar thing is worth saying. It's easy to be dismissive of Charles II as just the party king. But how many of the kings coming after Cromwell in the Republic and with all of the religious tensions going on, given that his brother then gets kicked off the throne? Yeah. It all could have gone wrong and that's the end of the monarchy would they all have succeeded in that position or did it take a certain type of personality to be able to ride that one out i think charles does deserve credit there you yeah. know not all the monarchs and individuals would have succeeded yeah true anyway charles ii is eliminated as is william the conqueror henry the second into the final to defend his crown Semi-final two. We talked about this being a possibility in the podcast, and thus it came to the pass. The Battle of the Tudors. Henry oh, yes. VIII, Elizabeth I, and Henry VII. One from each generation. Okay. Um, Elizabeth. And what do you reckon for the two Henrys? Um, notoriety will win out because... Not enough people know Henry the Seventh. Well, in third place was Henry the Eighth. 
Wow. And he wasn't Brilliant. Ju- and he wasn't just third. I mean he was just third, but seven point seven percent of the vote. Oh, I'm really pleased that how people interpreted great then. That's just an absolute on the trouncing. Second place, Henry the Seventh with thirteen point six percent, which is also not very impressive because the winner, once again storming away, Elizabeth the First, seventy-eight point eight percent of the vote. Wow. And that's in a group Oof. with Henry the Seventh and Henry the Eighth. That is that is that is more of a statement, isn't it? First mm. round knockout, second round get rid of two legends. So that means that once again, we've got uh, another repeat finalist. The runner-up from the original series, Elizabeth I, is into the final. Mm. Okay, good. So we we're we're proving a, a point here that we are right. Semi-final three. Alfred the Great, Richard III, and Edmund Ironside, which remarkably would mean that if Alfred gets to the final, then that is a repeat of the original final. He's got to in that group. You can't have Richard III as the greatest. Not enough people know Ironside. It's got to be Alfred the Great. Alfred the Great, come on. Though he's not actually great. Uh, Well, I mean, as you would expect, Edmund Ironside came very last Mm. with uh, 3.6% of the vote. But the question, of course, is what about that ricardian vote richard the third society because as we said oh, yeah. in the previous round double the number of people voted in his poll than any of the that. other ones now i was looking at this when he beat victoria in the way that he did and particularly with that um twitter account the apparently mm. one with all the followers i thought Oof, does, is there a possibility that that is such a high number of people it's bringing in that it's going to unbalance the whole tournament mm. yeah so I thought that actually this is the best opportunity for Richard not to win because you've got Edmund Ironside who is going to get very few votes. And it's thus basically a one-on-one contest between Richard III and Alfred the Great. Mm. And realistically, Alfred's a very successful monarch. A lot of people, not all, of course, mm. present company accepted, but a lot of people quite big fans of Alfred. So I thought this is a pretty decent chance. But... What would happen? Well, mm. Alfred got off ahead, and he's clinging on for quite a while until about 2.30, when we've had the Richard III account in full-on campaign mode, <laughs> um, creeping closer and closer, and then Richard takes the lead. Oh, at what time is this? It's about half past two in the afternoon. Okay. Still a fair way to go, but he gradually starts to pull ahead, and I think, well, this is probably it, because the numbers are going to be too great, Alfred's probably fallen behind a bit too early and we've got the parody account tweeting from the off rather than fairly late on. But then things did change. I I had a regular pattern of involvement with the poll. So each time I published it in the morning, retweeted it at night and then did a quote retweet when there was just an hour to go. So when I retweeted it at night, more people started to notice and a lot of people got very cross that A, Richard was in the semi-finals at all and B, that he's actually beating Alfred. Oh, right. So people are sort of, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a revolt kicking back. I love this. It's like listening to a soap opera. So this is the first one where really you've got people, other than the Richard fans, you've got people who are sort of saying, come on, all of my followers, even if you don't care about the monarchs, get in here, oh, vote God, for Alfred. Yeah. And obviously all the Richard supporters are retweeting it and saying, come on, everybody, it's a yeah. chance for Richard. So this is the first proper battle royale going on. Oh, so I wake up in the morning, um, early, obviously, hashtag babies, and uh, 
Alfred has drawn level. It's neck and neck. Okay. And then he starts to eke out a lead, which gets up to 0.04%. What? But then Richard III account has woken up. And sure enough, about 20 minutes later, Richard sweeps back into the lead and it gets about 2% ahead of Alfred. How long is left? Uh, we got about a couple of hours at this point. Okay. But Alfred starts to fight back. More people start putting out final calls for their followers to get voting, and it's gradually getting closer and closer. So when the vote closes, a whopping 1,375 votes have been cast. Yeah. Most so far. And of these votes, 667 have been cast for Richard III, while for Alfred the Great, the total is 659. So by eight votes, Richard III has eliminated Alfred and he's into the grand final. Oh, this is starting to be an outrage, this drug taking. (laughs) I might complain. If if it looks like they're going to win, I might complain about this. But at the moment, fine. I also didn't care for Alfred, but it's getting to the final now. There were a lot of people saying, come on, he's literally called Alfred the Great. <laughs> yeah. And this other fellow is known for what? Yes. Oh. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I said how it's effectively a one-on-one battle, but the 3.6% of Edmund Ironside's vote accounts for about 49 votes. Mm. So as yeah. ever, first past the post, third party candidate, that made yeah. the difference. If 10 of those votes had gone to Alfred, Alfred would have yeah. won. Gosh, that's interesting. Anyway, Richard III is into the final. Athel, uh, uh, not Athelstan. Alfred the Great is out, so we will not have a complete repeat of uh, the original series. Okay, but that's good. Mm. Messes it up a bit, adds a bit of colour, a bit of story. However, he's got to go out in this final. Anyway, we've got one more semi-final to go first. Semi-final oh, right, four. Uh, Edward III, Canute and Athelstan. Uh, Athelstan, I think. So a rather distant third was Canute with 16%, but we then had another exciting battle Mm. at the top. First place took 43.3%, second place took 40.7%, which Mm. is a gap of about 16 votes. Mm. Another nail-biter. And the winner, going into the grand final, is Athelstan. And Athelstan's now done what Alfred did in the original series by knocking out both Edward I and Edward III. <laughs> Don't like him. So, <laughs> final. Um, Henry II, yep. Elizabeth I, Richard yep. III, Athelstan. Yeah. It's not going to be Athelstan, because we'll have a lot of... Uh, our Saxon traction will have slipped massively for a grand final. Um I hope Elizabeth I, because I think that's what it came down to in the final last time, wasn't it? Elizabeth I and Henry II. Elizabeth needs her time. Well, it's an interesting. I suppose the thing in, Alfred, in Athelstan's favour is the fact that Alfred has been knocked out. Because if Alfred had been in the mm. final, you'd have had two Saxon monarchs, and then they wouldn't have stood a chance because the vote would have been split pretty badly. Yeah. Whereas instead, yeah. Athelstan's up against two Plantagenets and a Tudor. So maybe that improves his position a little bit anyway of course we still don't know the richard the third situation will that continue but henry the second is the defending champion yeah i mean 
it's he's almost like um a top seed that you assume they're getting through to the final yeah like Brazil, you sort of draw in the early when you're doing your wall chart, you sort of can almost draw them into the final. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's more interesting to think about the others, but then you lose sight of the fact they're still Brazil. Mm. Um, oh, and I really some... hope it's Elizabeth. Who who was last then? Well, there's a journey to go on in the final. Oh, good. It's not a journey. After about 45 minutes or so, there's no clear pattern, although the votes are bigger than they were previous rounds. Athel stands on 20%, Richard III on 23%, Elizabeth I on 28%, and Henry II on 29%. Hmm. Now, I took this snapshot because that is the point at which the Richard III account issues a call to arms. Okay. So 20 minutes later, there is a change. Athelstan slips to 19%, Henry II and Richard III are now joint second, on 24%, whilst Elizabeth has actually taken the lead with 33% of the vote. What? It's an interesting change because, on the one hand, Richard has made progress, but Elizabeth has actually made more progress. Yeah. So Was there an Elizabeth count that woke up? No, there's no Elizabeth count going on here that's making a big, big impact. Oh. Uh, another 40 minutes later, and it's getting closer, Athelstan is back up to 19%. Henry II remains on 24%. Richard III is up to 25%, whilst Elizabeth has been pegged back slightly to 32%. So it's slightly closer, but not dramatically closer. Mm. Um, After 40 minutes, Athelstan is back down to 17%. Henry II still on 24%. Richard III is up to 26%. And Elizabeth I back to 33%. Oh, gosh. So Elizabeth is actually slightly further ahead at this point. So Richard is, on the one hand, clearly benefiting over Henry II and Athelstan, but he's not yet managing to catch Elizabeth. That's interesting that Henry is not part of this game. Mm. (laughs) So, okay, great. Anyway, Athelstan is the one who's really falling behind at this point, but then we get another major intervention, but this time it's not for Richard III. Uh, one of our followers reminded us that when they got a, um, you know, this little Penguin Monarch biography book, so remember they showed you an Edward I one, I think, while yeah. we were on, on tour, um, yeah. his one of Athelstan, he had got signed by the author, who's a noted historian, Tom Holland, and he'd obviously mentioned something about us to him, because in the front, Tom Holland had signed it, and he said, I hope you enjoy this book about the man who self-evidently should have won the Rex Factor. Tom Holland as in... Not Spider-Man. No, the um, History Brothers. Oh, yeah, brother of James Holland. I think. Ah. Ah, interesting. He's Chalk Valley History Festival, of course. Mm, indeed. Um, so the existence of this poll was thus brought to the attention of Tom Holland, who then issued a call to his followers to vote. And he's got over 100,000 followers. Yeah, that's that's Billy Big Potatoes there. Now, obviously, he will potentially have more people following him who are just general history people rather than necessarily all Athelstand fans. It's not quite the same as the Richard III account, but still, what yeah. happens half an hour later when we've had 300 votes added? Which is quite a lot, given that some of the polls, you know, were only 400 votes in total. To get 300 mm. in just half an hour is quite a change. Oh, God, half an hour? I thought yeah. this was the rest of the vote. Oh, no, it's in half an hour. Henry II and Richard III are now joint third on 21%. What? 
Athelstan has shot up from 17% to 26% and is now in second place. Oh, my goodness. And Elizabeth pegged back slightly to 32%. And there's still a long way to go. We're still basically early afternoon at this point. Yeah, great. And he's um, he's got... Uh other history friends that he can get involved surely this Mr Holland fellow mm. so we've got the Richard fans have been mobilised the Athelstan fans have been mobilised still a long way to go where will it all end up mm. well the final results in fourth place with 19.3% of the vote the miraculous run comes to an end and it's Richard the third okay good that's that's good Thanks for your time. It was fun. Don't do it again. <laughs> just 3% <laughs> ahead of him. No, not even 3% ahead of him. In third place, just three votes ahead oh. of Richard with 19.5% was Henry II. No way. So would it be Elizabeth I? Would she hold on to her lead? Or would the votes continue to flood to Athelstan and give him a surprise victory? Find out next time on (laughs) Rex Factor. I can reveal that the 2020 winner of the English Monarchs Tournament and taking the crown of England's greatest monarch is... I hate when they do this. Elizabeth I. Fantastic. Good. But by how much? Well, actually... Um, the reason that I jumped straight to the end is the votes remained remarkably stable for the rest of the thing. So Athelstan went up to 27.2%, mm. uh, but Elizabeth finished on 34.1%, mm. and uh, was victorious by over 100 votes. So on the one hand, that's the lowest winning proportion of the votes in the entire tournament. You'd but hope I- so in the final, though. Mm. But on the other hand, there was, what was it, it was something like 1,900-odd votes cast. So, you know, nearly 2,000 voting, by far the biggest one that we've had thus far. Mm. Pretty comfortable in the end, really, given how many people were voting. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm happy. That was a great tournament. It was. So it's interesting looking at that last one. What happened to Richard III and all of his votes? Yeah, they just weren't enough in the end. Well, he got fewer votes in this round than any other, despite the fact that there were more votes cast overall. Huh. So I wondered, was it that the Richard III account was far less active? Because apart from that first tweet and then a retweet later, didn't hear anything for the rest of the day. I think he was showing his true colours, that Richard person. And the Ricardians are right. And he was a decent fellow and he'd had his fun. And then he said, I won't spoil the final. Well, exactly that I thought. Did he, was he being a bit bashful at the thought of Richard winning and thought, maybe I shouldn't push this too much. It would feel a bit like a hijack. Hmm. Maybe it was because it was clear fairly early on that Richard wasn't breaking through and that Elizabeth maybe had it in the bag. Yeah. Or maybe it was just that it was a Friday afternoon going into a Saturday afternoon and maybe (laughs) just wasn't at the office anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe true. Um, Yeah, I think in their heart of hearts, even they couldn't say he was greater than Elizabeth. Henry II, of course, our original champion. He still is our original champion. He still is our top scorer. No one's going to take that away from him. And he's done well, you know, defending his title, third place. There's no shame in that. Yeah, he's the highest scoring Rex Factor winner, right? Hmm. And the thing is, because he doesn't have 
he never had a major person advocating for him. He's not actually that famous in many ways, even though all the people around him are. Mm. He doesn't maybe have quite that name recognition that Elizabeth or Richard have. Or so, Thomas Beckett, let's be honest. I well, that's the problem. Yeah. Know that name. Thomas Beckett, Richard the Lionheart, King John, mm. Eleanor of Aquitaine, everyone around him somehow is more famous than he is. Mm. But, you know, he's done well. I think really lovely for Athelstan to come second. He gets yeah. a bit of time in the spotlight. Yeah, that's true. So what, how does this compare to the fi- final last time? We had Edward winning, Elizabeth second. Henry winning last time. What did I say? Edward. <laughs> no. Oh, my God, it's just natural. Oh. Ed, Henry winning. Yeah. Elizabeth second. Second. Alfred third. Second. Yeah. And who was third? Alfred. Um, but of course, the big congratulations goes to Elizabeth I, completely unfazed by all of her opponents getting big celebrity pushes. Her share of the vote barely changed through the tournament. So one thing clearly that meant is that even though lots of votes came in for Richard early on and then lots of votes came in for Athelstan, for her vote to remain steady, that must mean that at least half of the new votes coming in were for her. Mm, yeah, yeah, true. She's just got She's got a very strong base level of support. So uh, people were seeing the tweet saying, come on, everyone, let's vote for Athelstan. And a lot of them thought, "Mm, no, I'm going to vote for Elizabeth. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good. So well done, Elizabeth I, our 2020 champion. That was lovely. Thank you very much to everybody who voted, existing Twitter followers, people who joined Twitter just to vote, anyone who started following us because of discovering the Twitter tournament, which I think particularly, I imagine that will be Ricardians. I suspect a lot of them came to us uh, because they saw the Richard III account, the Richard III Visitor Centre, where we Mm. had our premiere for the animated show. So welcome to all of you. It was exciting stuff. He definitely um, shook things up, Richard. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for us in this anniversary special. So thank you once again to everybody for your messages, for your support and for listening for the last 10 years. Uh, As we said at the start, or somewhere near the start, we've already recorded our special episode on Sulla. So that will be coming out next week. We'll do a Privy Chamber on Sulla for Privy Councillors. And then, hopefully not too long after that, will be Eleanor of Aquitaine. I'll settle with a cheerio. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) 